0: It's good to have you, so I'm going to encourage you to grab your Bibles, let's go to Matthew
1: chapter 28 together. A survey was done the tail end of last year and recently released of regular churchgoers. I want you to keep that in mind. Regular churchgoers about the Great Commission. I'm not going to give you everything that that they found, but I want to give you 51% 51% of the respondents said they did not know what the Great Commission was. 25% of the respondents said, I know what the Great Commission is, but I have no idea what it means. Now, again, I want you to keep in mind that this is regular churchgoers. It is describing what I would argue is the heart of the problem in the church as a whole. We have lost our focus There's a military term that I think really describes it The military term was coined by Carl von Clausewitz Though he himself never used this specific phrase It describes it, and the phrase is this The fog of war Now, the fog of war refers to the uncertainties of war Specifically, the uncertainty of your ability The ability of your opponent And the clear objective trying to be attained. I believe the church is in the fog of war. Because we don't understand the power that's in us. We underestimate the opposition that we face. And it's very clear that over half do not understand the specific objective that we are called to. Uh, That's why we have... Uh, titled this morning's message, The Great Confusion. Because if we don't know what we're supposed to do, how are we ever going to know if we've accomplished it? I love uh, the way Zig Ziglar used to put it. He said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. We don't want to aim at nothing. In fact, of the, matter, the one big thing is going to sum up everything, and it's this, that the calling of every Christian and every church is to make disciples. So let's look at it together in these three verses here. I'm going to ask Canon and Wood if you'd stand as we're going to honor God's word together. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, the word says this. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace. And Father, I just pray that you would clear fault. That we would clearly understand not only who you are, but what you have called us to do. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us the ears to hear, and the hearts to receive the truth of your word this morning, that we may go and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, the calling of every Christian in every church is to make disciples. So, we want to ask several questions of the text, all right? When you get into Bible study, the best thing that you can do is ask a lot text to speak so the first question that we would want to ask is this why, why does this even matter what is my primary motivation for making disciples well our primary motivation should be the two greatest commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself simply put our motivation should be love of God a love for others, but also a gratitude for what God has done for us. We need to remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. He said that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were alienated from God. We were the children of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy. And so we should be grateful that God has saved us, And because of our love for God and others, it's going to motivate us to desire others to experience that same blessing. You know, a lot of times people talk about why they can't share the gospel. But really, our lack of sharing the gospel isn't isn't based on what we can't do. It's rooted in the fact that we don't love God enough. We love our comfort. We, we like being liked more than we're concerned with the eternal destiny of those who have never surrendered to Jesus Christ. If you saw a child out on one twenty two wandering in the middle uh, of the street, my guess is none of us in here would sit back and go, well, that's not my problem. None of us would go Oh man, where's mom and daddy they, they ought to be taking care of this We wouldn't be doing A return on investment Analysis so to speak of Well, am I fast enough in that car And that car to get to that child and get over there Safely We would instantly Hop up and go and do whatever We could to protect that child So why is it That we don't Care or we're not concerned enough about the eternal reality of hell for those who don't love Jesus. Why is it that we know instinctually to protect life, but we rarely give a second thought to a person's eternity? And again, it, it comes down to a love for God, a desire to be obedient and to be grateful for what he has done. Now, the second answer to the why is found in verse 18. Jesus speaking, he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. This is all authority rests in Christ. And so if you are in fact saved, then that authority is our commanding officer Giving us a direct order. Now, if your boss at work gives you an order, do you take it as optional? Do, do you delay your response and obedience? Not if you like your job, right? So again, we know how to respond to Authority. And so it comes back to the love problem. Every problem we have in life, okay, even when it's with other people, every problem we have comes down to the answer of I need to love God more. Because the more I love God, the more obedient I'm going to be to God. So love is our primary motivation our secondary is mo- is obedience. But what are we to do? All right, Again, if you total those two percentages up, you're talking 76%. Nearly 8 out of 10 people either don't know what the Great Commission is or they don't know what it means. So what is it that we are to do? Well, there's three aspects of it. The imperative in this text here is in verse 19 and it's teach all nations now depending on what translation you're using some are going to say make disciples it says go therefore make disciples or go ye therefore and teach all nations okay the command is to make disciples or to teach all nations everything else in the next in previous and after is how you make disciples so the first part of it is go Alright, what's that? That's evangelism. That is the intentional sharing of the gospel with a lost person. Alright, the second part of it is baptizing them. Now we need clarity here, because baptism will not save anyone. Alright? But it is the first act of obedience from the moment we have been saved as a demonstration of our love and gratitude for Jesus saving us. Alright, so unless there are special circumstances that prohibit you or prevent you from being baptized. Every child of God ought to be baptized. Alright, we have the example of Jesus and now we have the command of Jesus. And then the third one is in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all things. Now a lot of times what we do is we say, teaching them all things. We, we leave out that one, that one word, Observe. Now, you may be asking, why does that really matter? Because the word observe is obey. We do not read Scripture privately or corporately simply to have information transferred to us. We read so that we know God for the express purpose of obeying Him. You see, what we're going to see over and over throughout scripture is Jesus directly ties how much we love him to how obedient we are to him so simply sitting back and going yeah I love Jesus isn't proof you've heard me use the the term atheistic atheist okay a person who says I believe in God but their life doesn't reflect it Okay, that's a person, not unlike many who are going to sit in churches today, frankly, who are going to sing the songs, who are going to pray, who are going to go through all the religious motions. But when they leave, their heart has not been touched. They are not going to be living in obedience. They're going to go, all right, number one on spiritual to-do checklist on Sunday, go to church. Beep, good, now I can go on. Now, understand, when we talk about obedience to Scripture, we're not just talking about the easy parts. We're talking about the difficult ones. We're we're, we're talking that our love for God must be greater than our love for our sin and greater than our dislike for the jerk. Okay? This, This is what God is calling us to do. By the way, this idea of making disciples two, really two-pronged, all right? evangelism, go, teach to obey is the second. This is the only express thing that God has authorized the church to do. He has not authorized us to bid, build big buildings, to create all these elaborate ministries and, and all of this other stuff. He has told us, go make disciples. And, and the construction of this is actually, as you are going... Make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to observe. So what does it mean to, as I am going? It means wherever I go, that's my mission field. See, we talk about missions as though it's a trip I take for one or two weeks to a place, and I share the gospel, and then I come back, and, well, I've done missions. While that is certainly part of mission work, it is not all of mission work. See, every true child of God is both a minister unto God and a missionary for God. So when you and I go wherever we go, we're doing it with spiritual eyes, saying, Lord, who am I supposed to share the gospel with? Who am I to love more than I love God? My comfort. Who am I to love more than I fear being called weird, Bible thumper, whatever? And then obey. This is what he's talking about. Now, I want you to see a a tremendous promise at the very end of verse 20. Look, he says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So it's not you and I who are going out and sharing the gospel in our own power. Jesus says, I'm living inside of you, and so I'm going to help you. That when we're obedient, God is going to give us the power and the ability to obey. Isn't that awesome? Like, I don't have to be cute. I don't have to be clever. I don't have to do all of this stuff. I just have to love God enough to say, Lord, help me to obey you. And when he gives me that opportunity, I take it. And by the way, a lot of times people get caught up in in the results. All right, now we're we're probably going to come back to this in in a couple of weeks or, or so. Maybe not. Your job and my job is to sow the seeds, to water the seeds. It's God who gives the increase. So so let all the pressure on the results of you sharing the gospel be just taken off your your shoulders. Don't feel like if I share the gospel and, and the person doesn't surrender to the grace of God, that you have somehow failed. Because they are not accepting or rejecting you, they are accepting or rejecting God. This is what it means that we're never alone. You know, Satan loves to whisper that lie to us, doesn't he? That we're alone. Nobody would understand it. You're alone. Put God over and over and over. He says, I am with you always. Even at the end of the world. There's never going to be a time as a child of God that you're going to be by yourself. That you're going to be Powerless. Because the power of God is living inside of you. So this is what we are to do. But again, the the question becomes how? Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe. It's obedience. Evidence of our salvation is the transformation of our life. It's a truth that God loves you so much that he will meet you where you are. Maybe you feel like your life is just a complete mess. God loves you so much he will meet you in that mess. He already knows that you're a mess. He will meet you where you are. But here's the problem. That is only half the truth. The other half of the truth is he loves you too much to leave you where you are. See, he will meet you in your mess so that he can create his masterpiece. That poem of Ephesians uh, 2.10. Where it says, for we are his workmanship. It's this idea of a a beautiful rug. Have you ever seen these throw rugs hanging up on a wall? They are beautiful to look at, Right? Have you ever turned it over on the back side? There are so many strings and so many different colors going here, there. You're like, how in the world? See, you and I are viewing life from the back side of the rug. God's viewing it from the front side. You and I don't see where all these crazy strings and all of these situations that we find ourselves in, we don't see where they're leading us. But God's going, it's okay. I'm weaving my masterpiece. Just trust me. I've got this. So God will meet you where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Okay? You, You cannot, we'll put it this way. You cannot go with Jesus and stay where you are. It's an oxymoron to say... That Jesus has saved me, but he has not changed me. It's illogical. It's a contradiction. It's an impossibility. And so we have to learn that the greatest evidence that I have been saved by the grace of God is the obedient life I live to God. That I, I seek to live, him, live for him and please him in everything that I, I do. I heard a pastor put it this way one time. He said, quote, the greatest threat to Christianity is not what we don't know. The greatest threat to Christianity is what we know, but that we don't obey. You know, so so often we we, we get caught up in what we don't know about Scripture. And and I got to be honest, this is the only book that you can read all day, every day, for your entire life. And still not understand everything that is in here. Okay. I, I, I'm just going to be really honest. There are passages that I, I read. I'm like what in the world are you thinking here God. Like how in the world. Could somebody you, you love. Be intentionally sold into slavery. Oh because he, he was getting elevated in Potiphar's house. Okay that makes sense. Oh wait a minute. Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape, but he didn't do it. He gets thrown in jail for at least two years. What in the world? And then all of a sudden, two guys have these random dreams. And Joseph interprets them. He gets forgotten for another two years. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream, right? And Joseph is able to interpret. Most of us are like Joseph's brothers. We've done something and we're terrified of the consequences. And Joseph, as he's standing there in, in Genesis 50 with his brothers, he says, I don't want you to be afraid. Am I not in the place of God? In other words, am I not exactly where God wanted me? Genesis 50, 20 says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. In other words, if approximately 17-year-old Joseph had not got sold into slavery 13 years previous, then the nation of Israel would have been in trouble because of the severe famine. I mean, how is it right that somebody who did nothing wrong would be beaten and crucified for everything I've done? It doesn't make sense. Yet this is exactly what scripture shows us. It's because we're looking at the backside of the, of the rug. And we're trying to connect all the dots instead of looking at the masterpiece God is creating. It's not enough for us, church, to know that we should share the gospel. It's not enough for us to know that we ought to be praying for the lost. If we love God and we love others, we will pray for them, and then we will go share with them. And this kind of begs a question, how do we really know if we're making disciples, right? I mean, all right, so let me just give you a couple of questions. Are you praying for the lost? All right, this is the place I'm going to ask you, who's your one? You've heard me bring this up over and over throughout the, the last six months. Who is that one person that you know... That right now, they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, every one of us in this room knows at least one person. When was the last time you prayed for them by name that God would send somebody, maybe you, maybe somebody else, to share the gospel with them? This is something we ought to be doing every single day. So are we praying for the lost? Are you sharing the gospel? I'm not saying are you fluid at it and do do you have this neat, crafted presentation I'm saying, do you get to the heart of the matter that God created everything perfectly, yet sin ruined it? And not only did Adam's sin affect him, but it affects you and I. Because we make sinful choices that go against God, so we're all sinners. And yet, in his love for us, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us while we were yet sinners. And that he is offering as a free gift... Salvation by the grace of God through faith in God that's the gospel message are we sharing this are we, ta- are we being taught and are we teaching others what it means to obey Jesus <coughs> we, we see it over and over throughout scripture of what we're to do and how we're to do it and so we just need to learn to see everywhere we go as our mission field. When you go to work, it's a mission field. You go, if you're like our family right now, you're in some different city and in the state of Virginia every Saturday for 10 to 12 hours for a wrestling tournament. That's a captive audience because guess what? Parents paid to get their kid in that tournament. They're not going to leave because the weird guys talking to them. That's shooting fish in a barrel, come on When you go to the grocery store And you're standing in line at, 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 at Kroger And we know sometimes the lines can kind of back up And you got somebody in front of you you got a captive audience Because they're not going to leave their cart And leave their groceries Because they don't want to hear what you got to say Why? Because they're hungry They want to eat You got a captive audience. It's about loving God and loving others enough to go, you know what? I've got this this one shot. So I'm going to get right to the heart of it. I'm going to share the gospel and I'm going to leave the results up to God. And so then there becomes two questions that every believer needs to ask. Because we see in verse 20, we are to teach them to observe or obey all things. Who is investing in me? There isn't a Christian alive who is spiritually mature to the point that they don't need somebody teaching them how to obey Scripture. Nobody. right, And even if you somehow are that spiritually mature, there is not a person here who is... So spiritually mature that they don't need somebody lovingly holding them accountable for the choices they're making. So who is it that's investing in you? But then there's the second question. Who are you investing in? See, it's important that we share the gospel. It's important that we hold one another accountable for the lives that that we are Leading now, a lot of you, I can already hear you saying, I'm not spiritually mature enough to do this. All right, man, I wish you would have been here with us this past Wednesday uh, because we talked about the three myths of discipleship, and one of them is that you have to be spiritually mature in order to make disciples. All right, we blew that up with scripture on Wednesday, all right, because it's a myth, it's not. True. See, every one of us in here is on the road to spiritual maturity. We are a work in progress. I don't know about you, but that's a good thing. We're a work in progress. And so we simply surrender our lives to Jesus Christ in obedience to Him. To be taught and to teach. So what you ought to be doing this morning And even later today Is this Get alone and pray Ask the Lord Lord who is it who can invest in me Lord who is it that I can invest in And then when God gives you those names Call them Email them, text them, go visit them Say, you know, I've been praying about this, and God laid you on my heart. Can you help me? Begin that discipleship relationship. Who can invest in me? Who can I invest in? We we ended uh, Wednesday by saying this To, to be a disciple, you need just a few things. You need a Bible, you need a pen. You need a notebook, you need a desire to grow, and a desire to see others grow. If you've got that, then you can do it. So here's where we're at this morning. It's time to take that next step. For some of you, that next step is actually the first step. It is surrendering to Jesus Christ to save you. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking do you go to church. Obviously, you do, you're here. I'm not asking if you have your name on a church membership roll. I'm not asking if you've gotten into a baptistry and gotten baptized. What scripture is asking us, what God is saying, is have you acknowledged that you are a sinner and that the only way you can be saved is faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, then that's what God is calling for you today. Because apart from faith in Christ, there is no hope in this life or eternity. For some, the next step is, you need to get involved in a Sunday school class. Now, most of you are, and that's awesome. But that's where you you learn to love God and love others a little bit more. You get in that little family that's part of the bigger family. and, And you grow closer to God and to each other. And that's important. We all need that. For some of you, it's time to start being a disciple who makes disciples. You don't have to have it all figured out. You have to have a relationship with Jesus, a desire to grow, a desire to see others grow, a Bible, a pen, and a notebook. And then I promise God will take care of the rest, and the church will help you. A lot of times we say, I can't. So I'm going to challenge us to change that statement for a moment, okay? Because it's not that I can't. I want you to take the word can't out and put won't. It's not I can't, it's I won't. And now we're getting to the heart of the matter. Because when you know what to do and do it not, James says that's sin. So because we love God and we love others, we want to live in obedience. So let's walk together in obedience. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father, we thank you for this morning and we we thank you for the opportunity to come in and just to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, this... This can sometimes be a a very difficult message for us because we're so used to doing church the way we've always done it. We live in a great nation, but it's a great nation of individuals.